Hey there, folks. Welcome back to Humanize Me. I'm Bart Campolo. This is my podcast. Among other things, I'm the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California. I do a bunch of counseling and coaching these days. And if you're interested in that, you can check me out at bartcampolo.org and get all the information. It's one-on-one stuff. I do it with people all over the world. Sometimes it's in person if they're here in Los Angeles. Uh, A lot of times it's by Skype and by phone. Um, so if you're into that, you should check me out. Uh, this, this week's episode, uh, you say, is it sponsored by, you know, it, it's sponsored by Betty. And I say it's sponsored by Betty because Betty's the woman who sent me the email that we talk about in this podcast. And Betty, thank you for writing to me. I hope the stuff that we talk about is helpful to you. I hope it's helpful to everybody who's listening to the podcast. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you're, 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 you're the sponsor this week cause you're the one that made it happen. Um, as for the rest of you that want to be sponsors of this podcast, you sh- again, you just go to barcampolo.org, drop me an email. Actually, drop me an email about anything. I want to know about your life. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know podcasts you think I should listen to, shows that you think we should do, stuff like that there. All right. Let's get on with the show, this show. Rock on. Let's go talk to Betty. You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. So look, I don't have a co-host this week to chit-chat with, and I don't have a guest this week to interview, but I do have a listener email this week that has totally been on my mind since I got it, and I wanna, I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to talk about it and see where it takes us. All right, so here we go. It comes from a listener named Betty, and Betty writes, Dear Bart, I am in a mixed marriage. My husband and I used to be literal, Bible-believing Christians, but over the past three years I have deconverted and now consider myself fully agnostic. My issue is that my husband is teaching our kids that they are sinners and that if they don't believe in Jesus, they will be separated from God forever. I overheard him saying this last night during their Bible study after he took them into a different room away from me. He has never done that before. A few months ago, I told him I would not have my kids growing up being scared of hell the way I did. That fear gave me anxiety and depression, which nearly wrecked me when I was 20. I have told my oldest child a little bit about how her dad and I don't believe the same things. I tried to explain that different people have different beliefs about God and heaven and all. Unfortunately, my husband does not seem to want to talk about a plan for us in terms of the kids. I'm trying to be patient and understanding because I know that he is indoctrinated and can't see straight. But I'm afraid for my kids. What do you think? Wow. Wow, that is a tough situation, is it not? I mean, you can see why this has kind of been on my mind a lot since I read it. And I I wish I could say that this is the only email I've gotten and the only conversation I've had with somebody in a mixed marriage who is really confused about raising kids and how how you do that and what you do and what what it all means. This this is a, Betty, you are not alone. This is a common problem and it is a biggie. And so, you know, I mean, that's just, I just, if, if nothing else, I mean, I'm glad, I'm very glad you wrote. I'm always glad when people write and share their stories with me. But in this case, um, I just want to let you know that, you know, you're, 
your fear, like I'm, I'm afraid for your kids too. And, and I'm anxious for you to do the right, to figure out what the best thing you can do is. And I'm anxious to try to help you do that. Now, so, so first of all, and the first thing I've got to say to you is really simple. I don't think I know enough yet to be very helpful. Um, if you were one of my counseling and coaching clients, if we were talking one-on-one, I wouldn't just jump in and say, well, Betty, here's what you need to do. On the contrary, what I would do is I would, I would ask a lot of questions. I would want to listen and I want to, would want to find out a lot more. I mean, some of the questions I would have is my, my first big question would, of course, be how long have the two of you been married? Where did you meet? How did you get together? How old are your kids? What's going on with them? Like, uh, you know, are, are, how are they doing in school? How, do they have friends? What are they, are they thriving or is, are they struggling? Do they get along with each other? I'd want to know about the kids. I want to know how are things going between you and your husband otherwise, except for this big issue. How are you guys doing? What kind of dad is he? What, what does he do for a living? How does he treat you? What kind of mom are you? What do you do for a living? How do you tend to treat him? What's happening in the, you know, with the rest of your families? Like are, are your in-laws and, and your parents, are they living next door to you on the left and the right, right, you know, right there? Or are, are you in a different state from them? You know, what kind of involvement do they have in your lives? What about, who else is around you? What, 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 what kind of friends do you and your husband have? Who are you hanging around with? What do they think? What kind of church does your husband go to? Did you used to go to that church? What's your rep in that church now? You know, like the, all of these kind of things, they take place in context. And maybe that's the first thing I want to say, it, you know, because I'm often, I'm often encouraging secular humanists like to be more confident and to be more vocal in terms of saying like, look, this is, I'm a humanist. So, you know, I, I, I think this life is all that there is, but I want to make the most of it by building loving relationships and by fighting for social justice and by cultivating a sense of wonder and, and, and a sense of, of gratitude for this life. And all that stuff's good and well. But if you do that, if you get a little bit of confidence, if you become a little bit more vocal, you're going to attract people who have these kinds of questions. People are going to come to you and go like, okay, but what about this? What do I do in this situation? I mean, the, 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 more, you build, the more you build these kind of communities, the more people start to lean on each other for help. And when that happens, my biggest piece of advice is when somebody comes to you with an issue like this, slow down. Ask a lot of questions. Listen really carefully because people, when they tell you their story, they almost never tell you the whole story, not because they're lying or trying to deceive you, but because they can only see it from this one angle. And a big part of being a good listener is trying to help people think about things from angles they might not have thought of before. And, and the way you do that is by asking questions. And so, you know, Betty, I would have a lot of questions for you. And I, I, I mean, I really, I'm really interested. I really care, but I don't know enough to give you much specific. I, I, I do, however, know enough to say one thing to you. And that is, I'm really proud of you for doing your best to be patient and understanding with your husband, um, for recognizing that as tough a spot as this is for you, he's in a tough spot too, because he really is. And, and a lot of times people that don't grow up, that didn't, that grow up secular and that never really struggled with, with any of this stuff, they don't recognize how difficult it is. For a, for a 
true believer when somebody close to them loses their faith. And I mean, he's in a tough spot. I mean, if he's secure in his faith, he's in a tough spot because he's worried about you. He's worried about your eternal destiny. What happens to you? He's worried about being separated from you, not just kind of emotionally separated, but, but ultimately completely separated from you. Because if, and again, that's what secular people don't understand is that if this stuff is real to you, it's the most important and consequential stuff in the world. You know, sometimes people, secular people say, I, I resent it when people try to proselytize me. I resent it when somebody's trying to indoctrinate their children into this stuff, into religion. And, and you think like, yeah, you know what? It doesn't, if it's true, it's not indoctrination. If it's real, it's not brainwashing. I mean, like you don't criticize a parent. You say, I resent it that they, they're brainwashing their children into not running in and playing in the traffic. I mean, they just, they just lay it down as a hard and fast rule. You will not play in traffic. That will kill you. And you're like, yeah, but, but that's true. Like that's not indoctrination. That's not brainwashing. That's just good parenting. And you're like, yeah, if heaven and hell are real, then that's just good parenting too. And it's important, and, I, and that's what I appreciate about you, Betty, is that you recognize, like, hey, I'm not the only one that's in a tough spot. My husband really sees this stuff as real, and if he does, then he has no choice but to try to try to figure out how to get it across to your kids in the best way possible. And that's the conversation you need to have is about best ways possible to raise your kids together. But, I, I you know, just all, you know, big ups to you for, for recognizing that. And... um and that's, I guess the thing is, is that he might be scared because he's sure. And, and then if he's got any uncertainty, he's scared on a different level. Because if there's one thing that is dangerous to a believer with doubts, it's a deconverted former believer. I mean, if he's scared, you know, he's thinking, gosh, you know, he may not be scared for you. He may be scared of you because the truth of the matter is, is that a deconverted Christian, especially one who hasn't fallen to pieces, who hasn't blown up their lives, who's who's as nice as they ever were, maybe even nicer because they're not racked with um, ambivalence and because they're they're sort of free, their mind sort of feels free to really dig into this life. That kind of person can be really scary because it represents a possibility. It says this can happen, and if this can happen to you, then it could happen to him. And that's even before you start talking about your ideas, talking about the way you see things. Because if there's anything that we know about ideas, it's that they are contagious. Ideas tend to spread around, whether they're good or bad ideas, they tend to spread. Um, But the truth is that over time, ideas that are supported by evidence, or that at the very least aren't contradicted by evidence, ideas that are rational and reasonable, those ideas, once once they get out, they have a tendency to spread. And so he may be worried that what, what got you is going to get him. So yeah, he's in a tough spot, and I appreciate you recognizing that. But here's the thing. Whether he wants to or not, whether he likes it or not, you two have got to talk. Um, I mean, you have to talk. Even if you didn't have kids, you have to talk. Because even if you didn't have kids, this is a marriage issue. Um. And you may be feeling that. That, may, that may actually may be why you're, why you're not pushing it too hard with them is because you, in your marriage, you may feel guilty. Um, a lot of times when a person deconverts, there's this sense that we have 
that we've let down the believers in our lives, especially like in a marriage. You promised, you got, you got up in front of all the, the church and you, you promised and you prayed and you took your vows before God and now you're breaking the commitment because the commitment was we're going to have a Christian marriage. You're marrying a Christian woman. And, and so you may feel guilty like you've let him down and he may feel resentment towards you. Like you baited and switched, like like this. He may he may very fairly look at you and go like, "Hey, raising ki- raising kids, living with a, a a non-believer, this isn't what I bargained for." And in actual fact, that is true. This isn't what he bargained for. But I guess, as an old guy, I guess what I would say to you is, marriage is never what you bargained for. I mean, I perform a lot of marriages, and whenever I'm Whenever I'm sitting with a couple, I'll say to them, like, why are you getting married? And sometimes they'll look lovingly and say, because we want to spend the rest of our lives with each other. And I always smile and say to them, oh, I'm sorry. I say this at at weddings when I'm performing the ceremony. I say, listen, take a good look at her. Take a good look at him. Because that's the last time you're ever going to see that person. People change. When you marry somebody, you're not so much committing to a personality as you are committing to a physical location you're basically saying look whoever shows up in that body i'm going to find a way to connect with that person i'm going to find a way to love and and support that person and you're asking them to to make a commitment not not to your person because you can't guarantee who you're going to be but but to your body and say look will you commit yourself that whoever shows up in this body whatever happens to this body you'll stick with it that's what marriage really is and and yet it, it, you sort of you feel like you have a trajectory and and you can predict where in general where you're going and so for your husband this has got to feel like whoa this is totally not in the realm of possibility this is what i bargained for and so he, you may feel guilty he may feel resentful and and, and both of you may be scared wondering is this marriage going to survive this change And I'd be lying to you if I told you that they always do. I mean, a lot of times, eventually, the the other partner gives up their faith, and and, and then they got to figure out what what a secular marriage looks like. And then sometimes people, especially when they don't have kids, a lot of times they go their separate ways, and sometimes even when they do, they just go, look, look, I just can't make this work with you. Um, And so he may be scared, you may be scared, and those are are real fears, but I, I will tell you this much. First of all, if your marriage stands is to stand any chance of being a real marriage, you're still going to have to talk about this stuff. Hiding it in the corner, putting it away. I mean, I guess that may be a strategy for staying together, but it's not a strategy for, for growing. It's not a strategy for making the most of your life. I mean, it might make sense if you're a Christian believing in eternity that you gut it out until you die and then you, you know, you'll get rewarded in heaven. But I'll tell you, for the secular person in a mixed marriage, that's no bargain. And so, you know, I, I get the fear thing there. But I, I got to tell you, even if you were going to, like, if you want to have any chance of having a marriage, you got to talk about it. But even if you, even if the marriage dissolved, you'd still have to talk because you're still parents. You are inextricably bound together. And that's really the question you were writing about. And that's really a really important and good question is, yeah, so how do we raise these kids? What, what do we do about these kids? And we don't think 
we we have different ideas about what is best for the kids. He thinks it is best for the kids to live in, in, in the fear of hell as a motivator to get them to accept Jesus and walk with God, and that that'll lead them into a relationship with Jesus that will be exciting and happy and that will fulfill them. I mean, he's he's looking out for them. He want, he thinks that's the best path, and you're thinking, no, 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 no. I've seen what being afraid of hell can do to somebody. Well, I see what it did to me. That's not the best way. And, I mean, in this, like, you can take a little bit of hope because you're not the first parents that have disagreed about what's best for your kids. I mean, two Christian parents can disagree about that. I, I, I remember, you know, being with a couple, and they were having a huge argument about whether or not their little kids could play tackle football. And he had been a football player, and he was like, this is where I learned all this teamwork and all these good things happened, and, you know, it, it makes you into a, per, a resilient human being. And his wife was saying, wait a second, what about traumatic brain injury? What about concussions? What about what about the way your body can get wrecked doing that stuff? The long term consequences? No, no, no. And boy, you know that's those are tough issues. Sometimes people disagree about when their kids can start dating, or about what school to go to, or what career is the right way to direct them. At piano lessons, do we make them keep going, or do we not make them keep going? Like, are we permissive? Are we disciplined? I, people disagree. And so one of one of the questions is is I think you've got to try to take this faith issue onto the same level as those other issues. And, and I would ask the question, how do you and your husband resolve those kinds of difficulties in general? Now, sometimes in a Christian marriage, you go like, well, you know, like he's the, he's the boss. And so, you know, you just, you know, sometimes people have been willing to kind of go with the husbands, you know, as the leader of the family until they lose their faith. And then they also simultaneously lose their sense that that's the appropriate way to go. But Betty, just like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to guess that you and your husband have shared the load here in terms of decision-making. And so the question is, how do you guys make decisions generally? Because as much as this is a very different one, those are good questions. How do you talk about this stuff? Having said that, this is really different and a lot of times a lot more loaded. And so one of my like second tier questions for you, Betty, would be, Who's the most reasonable Christian in your husband's life? Like, if you can't talk to him, who is it that he can talk to that you can talk to at the same time? And you say, like, are you talking about going behind his back? And I would say, oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about going right in front of his face and saying, hey, I think, you know, like, we got to figure out what we're going to do here. And, like, your, your friend Joe or the Johnsons or whoever it is, I, I really respect them as people, and I also res- I, I, I respect their faith. And I wonder if maybe we should talk to them about this. Because sometimes by triangulating, you can take some of the emotion out of the conversation. So, so I think that that, 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 I mean, that's a first step, is I would say, that sometimes you want to you wanna figure out, like, who's the most reasonable person and, and you may want to talk to them first, and you may ask, you may want to ask him to talk to them first to help you figure out how even to talk about this stuff. But my, my suspicion will be that when you get to talking about this stuff, it's going to be important for you to develop a Christian argument for not making your kids the battleground, a theological battleground, but rather sort of making your family kind of an inter, a safe 
interfaith conversation where people talk about faith and they and they talk honestly about their own faith without demanding that the uh, that everybody else agree with them and without sort of mocking or putting down the other person's faith. That that may be one of your husband's fears and you may need to explicitly come out and say, "Listen, what you need to know is the fact that I'm not a Christian doesn't mean I think Christianity is stupid. I certainly don't think you're stupid. I am not going to try to run down your faith to the kids." I mean, in in some ways in front of him you need to show respect for his faith and say, "Listen, if daddy's right about God, then this is true." And you start sort of saying like, "You know, daddy could be right about God." You know, your father believes this, and a lot of people agree with him on this. And if that's true, then this. And, and he, you know, hopefully by modeling that, he can get to the place where he can say, hey, mommy and I may have different ideas about how people got here, but we both think that people need this or that in order to thrive. At some level, one of, one of my deepest goals for you would be that your kids would eventually see that you have different reasons for the same values. And I think that that's a conversation that you really want to have with your husband as well. It's like, can we clarify not where we differ, but can we clarify, can we get really explicit about what we agree on? What are our common values? What are, what, what are, the, what are the core values of this family? You know, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, um, service to others, you know? And he may say, well, one of the core values of this family is belief in God. And you go like, well... That's not one that we can say like we share, but but maybe one of the core values of the family is respect for for faith in God, respect for respect for other people's faith. You know, so I think you're going to have to to clarify those values. But 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 circling back, you know, when you're in this conversation about what are we going to do about the kids, a lot of times. We're thinking about it from the Christian angle. What's the best thing for Christianity? What you know? What's the Christian best thing for these kids, or what's the secular best thing for the kids? But I think that maybe one thing that would help you guys would be to have a conversation and go like, "What is it? What must it feel like to be the kids right now? What what must it feel like to, to have their parents be on different pages on this stuff? What do they need to see? What do they What do they need to see?" In, in our relationship? How do they need to see us talking about each other, treating each other, talking about the other one when they're not there? What would be best for these kids? And I, I think that if you can get to that place, you, you have a much better chance of having a good conversation than if you start with the place of, like, we disagree on what's right for these kids and, and how do we, you know, how do we, how do we get our kids to... to, to to in our position, ah, that was just the worst five sentences I've ever said. I think you get what I'm saying here about you trying to climb into the kid's perspective. Because you know what? The kids may not care nearly about as much about faith as they care about seeing their parents loving and respecting each other. As they get the sense that their parents think that the other person is a fundamentally good person. There's one more thing, and this is the thing where your husband needs to understand that what he's essentially telling the kids is, is that in, in, in an indeterminate amount of time, mommy's going to go and burn in hell. And, and even if he thinks that's true, the question is, is that a good thing to tell your kid? I mean, he certainly wouldn't sit down and say, you know what? 10 years from now, mommy's going to go away and she's going to be tortured by people for the, for the rest of her life. You're like, you're like, 
even if that were true, even if like you had signed some document or even if you were in, in you know, you wouldn't tell your kids that you would go like, that's just too terrifying an image. Well, it is a terrifying image to say, we're never going to see mom again. And she's going to suffer separated from God for all of eternity. And even if he believes that is true, that is probably not an appropriate thing to tell his kids right now. And you go like, but if he tells them about hell in general, they're going to make the connection between that and mom. And I go like, yeah, that's, and that's a good case for postponement. You can tell them a lot of things about the love of God. You can tell them a lot of things about Jesus. You can tell them a lot of things about like crazy stories from the old Testament without telling them, oh, and by the way, your mom is doomed and you will be too. If you don't step up to the step up to the bat and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior. So I think like that's the thing from the kid's perspective, what does it feel like to be told this about their mom? That's an important thing. And, you know, and and I think the other thing is, you know, he's probably part of an evangelistic church that, that spreads the gospel. And I think a good question, a good sort of clarifying question for him would be, Hey, if, if somebody in your church did a great job of evangelizing a Muslim and that Muslim decided to renounce Islam and became a Christian, but they were previously married and they had children in this Muslim family. So this guy is now a Christian. What would you, what would you want to say to, what would you want him to say to his Muslim family? Like, like would, would you say to him, yep, you just have to let them you know, since you were a Muslim when you had those kids, you just have to let it go. Never tell them about Christianity. He would probably say, oh, no, no, no. They need to, they need to try to tell the kids about Christianity. So like, and what would you want the Muslim family to do? Would you want the Muslim family to tell them like, like daddy's an idiot. He's a, he, he doesn't, everything he believes is wrong. He's going to, he's going to be punished forever by Allah. I think that if he puts the shoe on the other foot, he would recognize that in that situation, he would want there to be this kind of interfaith conversation going on in the family, this respectful dialogue. And I think it's just really important for him to see like, yeah, that's, that's where we're going. Or a secular family, a secular guy becomes a Christian and he goes home and says to his wife, I want to take my kids to Sunday school. I want to teach them about Jesus. And she goes like, wait, that what we, we had these kids when we got married. This wasn't the agreement. Yeah, if you flip it around, it's a lot easier to make a case for some kind of mutual respect and for some kind of postponement of laying out the most terrifying doctrines. And so, you know, you can probably guess, like, I wish there were somebody on the other end of this conversation nodding their heads or, or saying, yeah, that's right. Or I don't get that. I, I, it's hard for me to know if this is as helpful to you as I want it to be Betty or anyone else that's listening. All of this comes around to one last thing, Betty, and I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I'm going to have to. And that is that in order to engage in this conversation, you've got to do some thinking on the front end, because what you want to communicate to your husband is, listen, I respect your beliefs. I need you to respect my doubts in a Christian way. I mean, in some level, you know, if you want to make a Christian case for this, he, he needs to leave your salvation with God. When the kids say, is mommy going to hell? He needs to say, I don't know. That's up to God. I trust God. God is good. I don't know. The Bible teaches us not to judge. I'm not, you know, my dad as a Christian always used to say, I'm not on the, uh, I'm not on the invitation committee. I'm on the uh, welcoming committee. 
And, and, and that was his sort of way of saying, like, look, it's not our place to decide what happens. You know, lots of Christian theologies leave room for God to, like, make judgment calls. Um, that's why they call it Judgment Day. And so I think for the kid's sake, he needs to dial down his rhetoric. The, the alternative, telling the—it's really abusive— it's really abusive to tell kids that you think their mother is going to burn in hell. Like, that's an abusive thing to say. Even if it's true, it's still an abusive thing to say. I mean, you, you might know, you might, we might have information like, oh, yeah, your dad, like, he was a murderer and he killed 18 people and he's in prison now. But you don't tell that to a six-year-old. You wait and, and you, you ease that stuff in because some of those images are just too much for a young mind to handle. And I would say hell is too much for a young mind to handle, especially when their mom or dad is involved. And so I think he needs to learn a Christian, he needs to learn a Christian way of saying, I don't know. Even if he thinks he does know, he still needs to say, I don't know. The Bible almost commands him to say, I don't know. Um, and that's what I mean. Like that's a, a, a small example of the idea of you need to you need to get with a Christian and come up with a Christian case for why he shouldn't do certain things because he's not necessarily going to buy your rational or your secular case. When it comes to talking to people, we need to learn to speak their language. I often have, I, a Christian guy took me out to lunch last week and he just quoted scripture at me the whole time. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I know you think this is persuasive, but like, you do understand, like, I don't take that book seriously as, 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 as being factually accurate or as being rational. And so like you do understand that like you can quote these scriptures at me, but they have no authority in my life. If you want to get me to think about God, you're going to have to use my language. You're going to have to come at it from, you know, give me some evidence, give me something else. And I think that when you're talking to a Christian, you, you can't just go like, well, logically this or this psychological study says this. You've also got to couch it in their worldview. You're going to have to, Betty, learn to not just explain to your husband what you don't believe in anymore and why you don't believe in it anymore, but you're going to have to come really good at talking about why you think love is the best way of life and what it is that upon which you rest your commitment to forgiveness and why it is that you want to teach your kids to serve other people. And, and, and you say, those may be all scientific and rational arguments. That's not the stuff you need to put in biblical language. That's the stuff that you need to be able to articulate. Listen, without any God to start out with, without any scripture to start out with, here's the reasons I believe in human decency. This is the reasons I believe in love and forgiveness and wonder and gratitude. Because if you're gonna like, if you're gonna convince your husband that you have common values, he needs to know that you're not faking your values, but that your values have a foundation just like his do. And so, a lot of times, in marriages and in parenting situations, those are the times when people are driven to figure out what they really believe so that they can communicate it. And so, to that degree, Betty, I would say like. I hope some of the old other podcasts that we've done are helpful to you. I hope some of the books that we're recommending are helpful to you. I, I'd love it. You know, that's the conversation that we're all having with each other here is we're trying to figure out how we can articulate secular hope, not, not this irrational belief that things are just going to get better or that somehow like utopia is around the corner, but secular hope is the belief that 
our decisions and our actions can actually make things better, that, that we have agency, that, that, like, that we may not control all of our destiny, but that we can make things better for ourselves and for other people if we're committed to the right things, that we can make this life more meaningful. That meaning is not something that we find, but it's something that we create by loving each other. I, listen, I'm not going to go off on a whole humanist, evangelistic diatribe here. I'm just going to say, Betty, you better get one. Because you need to let your husband know that you respect his way of life, and that you understand why he thinks the way he is. And you need to let your kids know that you, you may not agree with that, but that you understand where it comes from and that you respect it. Even if you don't respect the arguments, that you respect the people and that you respect the sincerity and that you respect the values. But in order for you to expect him to be able to say the same about you, you've got to be able to communicate those values and you've got to be able to communicate your worldview. Man, this is the place where I wish I had a co-host to say, that's enough, Bart. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Enough. You have beaten this dead horse to death again. But I sense, just looking even at my computer screen, I sense that I've reached that point. So I'm going to cut this off and I'm going to ask you to help me out by responding. Let me know what you think. Um, Let me know what you're up against as a parent. And be aware that like, you know, this is tough because it's a one-way conversation. But like when I actually am coaching or when I'm actually counseling with people, when I'm actually talking to them about their lives, there's a whole lot more listening that goes on. Whole lot more listening. Because life is wonderful. Life is an incredible opportunity. Being a sentient human being is, the, is tantamount to having won the cosmic lottery, as Richard Dawkins always says. But life is hard. Life is confusing and complicated, and figuring out how to do it well is really difficult, and we need to help each other. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast, is I'm trying to bring people on and have conversations where we're trying to help each other figure out how to make the most of this life, and, how, and where we're trying to help each other become really good people and make the world a better place. And I just want to encourage you out there, even if you're sitting in this podcast alone, to recognize that you are never alone in this endeavor, that you are part of the tribe. You are part of this tribe. And, uh, and we need you. Like, yeah, we need your support. Yeah, we need your input and all that stuff. But like, no, we need you. Every time you go out there and you talk about this stuff or you pursue this stuff or you're reading stuff and you're, you're trying to figure out how can I do better? How can I make it more? How can I help other people? Every time you do that, you are lighting a candle. You are part of the solution. You are, you are making my world better. And I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to you for being in this conversation with me. And I look forward to hearing from you. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I don't know. I tried making that podcast 20 times and I got interrupted and there were noises in the wall and then I would screw up and I got lost. And by the, in the end, you know, it's, it's going to be late posting anyway, but I, I felt like I just needed to like get it home and hope that there was some goodness in there. So I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you come back next week. Yeah. We're just going to keep doing this thing till we figure it out. All right. That's enough. Catch you later. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org. Hey.